Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, Episode 5, Sexuality on Lost Girl, Part 2, Monogamy, Objectification, and Sexual Orientation. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And today we are continuing a conversation we started last week about how sexuality is portrayed on Lost Girl. Our guest is writer and filmmaker Melanie Killingsworth, who blogs about television and film at Mel's Bells, that's M-E-H-L-S-B-E-L-L-S, melsbells.wordpress.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at Mel's Bells. Just as a reminder, we are using some rules that show creator Michelle Lavretta outlined in an interview to structure our discussion. I will post a link to that interview in the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com. It will be in the show notes for episode 5. In the last episode, we discussed the first rule about no slut-shaming. In this episode, we will discuss the other four, four rules, which are Rule 2, Bo is capable of monogamy when desired. Rule 3, both genders are to be adorably objectified. Rule 4, sexual orientation is never discussed and never an issue. And Rule 5, both male and female partners are equally viable. And again, as a disclaimer, this episode contains frank discussions of sexuality, so go into the other room or put on your headphones if you're around people who might be sensitive to such material. So the second rule, we're only to the rule two, <laughs> that Michelle Lovretta came up with in regards to portraying sexuality is that Bo is capable of monogamy when desired. And I think, given that we have just season, seen season three, a big question that people might have in regard to this rule is, does this portrayal of Bo apparently being unable to only be with Lauren, like needing to have sex with, with other people in order to get an, enough sex and be healthy, does that contradict this rule? I, there are a lot of opinions out there on this. My personal opinion, and this has not been explicitly, I looked, has not been explicitly confirmed or denied by the show creators that I can find, is that Bo won't chi-suck Lauren because she's worried that that will still, if not kill, physically harm her, that she will still, that they will have sex, but she is won't cheese huck her. Um, and that is ultimately what ends up leading to her needing to have sex with other people. And the fact that Lauren also gives her permission so Bo is capable, or thinks she's capable of it, up to the point where Lauren's like, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're not. Like, you think that was a one-time thing, but it's not. It's going to be continuing. So I think the writers are kind of really trying to write themselves around this rule a little bit with the cheesuck and sex sometimes being together, sometimes being separate. She can mm-hmm. cheesuck without sex, she can sex without cheesuck, but she needs both to fully heal. And so she could only be monogamous with somebody that she could do both of those things on a very constant basis with. Because she can she can fully heal through sex only if she has it far more than a human could stand, is what I'm getting out of that. And I think that it's a little bit of them 
hedging their bets, a little bit of them breaking their own rules, and a little bit of just kind of hoping that people look the other way because, mm -hmm. hey, look, they're going to give us this open relationship storyline and it's going to be interesting, so let it play out. But I do think, I don't think they break this rule maybe, but they bend it in half. Well, I think they were just trying something different. Let's try it with a human, you know, try it with this side of the triangle. And Bo can have all the good intentions, but still physically can't sustain herself with Lauren. So, But in that know. case, they still have, uh, if you're going to define monogamy as a single stable partner, then they have it. She can just feed on the side, slash have sex exactly. on the side. But she's exactly. still think, monogamous. Yeah, Bo is monogamous in that sense, but just has sex with other partners. Her heart and her mind and all intentions, apparently, is still monogamous with Lauren, whether or not that remains in season four, who knows. I definitely take monogamy as the partnership, and so the fact mm -hmm. that she needs to have sex or cheese suck outside of it doesn't mean she's not being a monogamous. I know some people would take it differently. Of course, then we're still talking within the conceit of a show where somebody has to have sex to live, so they can, you know, play yeah, with the rules a little bit. Exactly. That's how I saw it in terms of the context <laughs> of the show. I'm like, it works for the show, not necessarily in real life, but for the show, I think uh, that was an uh, interesting way to go. Where they're trying to do both sides. I want to point this out because I feel like people sometimes forget about this. In the, in, C in season one, episodes five and six, we do see that even Dyson is having trouble keeping up with Bo and she is, they're having sex and cheese sucking and that's taking a toll on him. So I think there's a suggestion even early on that even with, if Bo was with a Faye, that might not be enough for her. Um, so I don't think it's just Lauren though. I think if she did cheese suck Lauren, that would maybe lessen her need to have sex with other people. But when she was cheese sucking and having sex with Dyson, she was okay, but he really wasn't. So it's like, could they, if they'd had a long-term relationship, which would he get just as worn out as Lauren did? And at that point, the shots were still working far more than they were working when she was with Lauren. I know that subplot really got buried, right. but when she was with Dyson, was right at the beginning of starting her regimen of shots, which apparently had diminishing returns. So if she were with Dyson in season three, even, would she, would he have been able to keep up? Well, and Bo's become so much more powerful in season three, and we don't know how powerful she is. You know, now she has the power of life over death, apparently, and we don't know what power she has with her father, you know, the wanderer, whoever that may be. Can anybody be with Bo for an extended amount of time is the question with this incredible power that she continues to explore. We don't know. And we've kind of touched on it a bit, but it's it's very significant that the show is willing to go and explore these kind of open relationships that we've seen, both with Samir and Olivia in season in season one, which was the couple that, that Bo had a threesome with, who uh, the way that they phrased it was, you know, we live a long time, us Faye, and sometimes it gets a little dull, so we invite other Faye into bed to, to have a little fun, spice things up. And then we have, you know, Bo and Lauren trying to attempt a more open relationship in season three. And um, to my knowledge, I don't I don't know if I won't say that no other show has portrayed open relationships, but I will I will say with confidence that very few have. Yeah, and I, I just wrote about this recently. I just recapped that episode, and I like that Lost Girl went out of their way because both 
spoiler alert, uh, Samir and Olivia die fairly gruesome deaths, but the show goes out of their way to point out that this is not punishment for them having an open relationship, because what a lot of shows will do is if somebody is having anything that's not really normative sex, that person will die. I mean, it's a horror movie trope. So the show goes out of their way to point out that they die not because they're having an open relationship or lots of sex with lots of people, but because they are lying and being deceitful and cheating. So I thought that that was a good way to do it. Another thing I really liked about Samir and Olivia is that that episode made very clear that they had very specific rules in regards to their relationship. It was okay. It was part of the agreement that they go when they agree, oh, yes, we like Bo, you know, let's invite her into our bed. That was what their agreement was, essentially. But when Samir went behind Olivia's back and had sex with um, the florist, Jenny, that was not okay. That was cheating. I like that they made very clear the difference within the context of that episode, even though we only see that couple in that one episode. I thought they did a really good job of portraying this is what an open relationship looks like. I think they knew ultimately, whether they knew who they were going to do it with or not, I think they knew that ultimately they were going to try to take Bo that direction, and so that was kind of laying the ground rules for that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, So the next rule that Michelle Lavretta laid out for herself was that both genders are to be adoringly objectified, equal opportunity eye candy for the win. And just a brief definition so we're all on the same page. Um, sexual objectification usually refers to representing or treating somebody like a non-thinking, non-feeling thing that can be used for one's sexual pleasure. And so I, I will say that I feel like on the show they don't do it to that extent all that often. Because, like, yes, we'll see Dyson with his shirt off. But at the same time, we know Dyson. He's more than just this a thing for us. We We have some context for him. However, you know, we do have gratuitous shots of Dyson with a shirt off. We do have gratuitous shots of, of Bo's cleavage. So, you know, there is some, some built into the show. And I think in general, they do, they do it adoringly, but maybe they at times get a little heavy on the female objectification and, and maybe cheap out a little bit on male objectification. The example that I can kind of think of was in episode, uh, 3.5 phase, phase wide shut that when we go into the sex club, we see, I think, just one couple, one male couple making out with their pants on, and then just full-on naked women making out all over the place. I think we see multiple shots, multiple female couples, two fe- two females, and I know there's one female couple who's, like, sitting on top of a table or a piano or something, and they're in the background of most of the the scenes that we have with, with Dyson and Tamsin and Bowen and Lauren, etc., in the sex club. So it was very strange to me that there weren't more men and why the men still had their pants on in that in that scene yeah you can't tell me that they could not find more than two male extras who were willing to get paid to sit there and go at it on set all day i realized that it's a a slight homage to the movie eyes wide shut and eyes wide shut was mostly female female but this show loves so much to play with gender reverse gender that they could have easily reversed that i mean they have hail who's supposed to be a siren, who's generally a woman, be a man. They they really like playing with that. And speaking of which, I'm a little bit disappointed that we only see Hale with his shirt off one time. That's just kind <laughs> of with those unforgivable. Yeah. Yes. unforgivable. I really think they should have made his power like, 
he goes and stands on a rock and takes his shirt off and steers the ships onto shipwreck on the rocks. <laughs> that makes total sense. Yeah, we get a lot of shirtless Dyson, but we've only had shirtless Hale once, which which I know many people lament. You know, and again, about not having more male extras in the face wide shut scene, I think that's just more of a societal reaction. We don't want to see two guys and oh well we'll show a lot of women and women being together, but you know, maybe we don't want to show Lauren being shirtless. The other thing that kind of drove me crazy is that they had like women who are clearly supposed to be full on naked making out. And I feel like that's way more hard to shoot and not show anything because there's more areas you can't show on a woman than there are on men. So it just I don't know, just logistically doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> And again, everyone everyone has to sign a separate waiver that says exactly how much. Maybe those right. guys are like, oh, well, we won't show anything below this. And it'd look even weirder if they only had shorts on. Mm-hmm. But again, they easily could have found more guys who would be more than willing. And there's definitely, logistically, would have been far easier. So that's either a casting thing or a director's vision or, I don't know, it's a... Uh, it, could be improved upon in the future. So something kind of that started to kind of bother me in season three is that it felt like we started to get into this all women must be bisexual territory because we had we had Tamsin introduced. And what I mean by that is obviously we have we have Lauren, who is probably gay. They've never said and they probably never will. And Kinsey, who is supposed to be straight. But all of the female main characters on the show have kissed a woman at least once whereas we haven't seen any of the male characters kiss men at all and so obviously you know two women kissing sells better than two men kissing usually i don't know it just started to feel like a little a little cheap that we would have tamsin and and kiss Bo just because you know that would draw the viewers but if dyson kissed Caden, that wouldn't draw the viewers so we can't show that or if dyson kissed hale because you have that bromance that could be more oh they had that totally bromantic scene and the at the end of the season where dyson gave him that little train i forget what it was exactly that little trinket that hale's dad gave him i thought he looked like he was proposing i thought that was really sweet <laughs> i thought that the Caden dyson scene in the back alley with them wrestling and them both throwing water at them was very homoerotic oh yes oh yes intentionally but once you've established a character as far as you have Dyson, you can't really do that. But I certainly think that two things. They could definitely introduce a gay male character. In fact, I I kind of hope that that's where they're going with Massimo. And I think they went out of their way to establish Tamsin as bisexual. And I think that was unnecessary. First of all, because she plays as a little more asexual. Mm-hmm. And second, because the only... They, uh, they established it on, on the website... I think, and instead of letting it happen organically, we've kind of organically come to realize, I think the only person who's explicitly stated her preference has been Kenzie at the very beginning. Like, hey, yes. you're, you're into girls. That's cool. I'm not. Everyone else, we've kind of come to organically understand, hey, Lauren's gay or Kiara's not. And everything's kind of happened organically. And so as opposed to us being able to learn that about Tamsin, it's kind of thrown out there and that makes it seem even more egregious but we do have a couple more women who are one way or the other granted we don't really see nadia for that long i Mm -hmm. certainly got the distinct impression she was gay yes 
I, I also, and this is weird, and I cannot tell you where I got this impression, but I got the impression that it was Nadia's apartment, and Nadia had decorated the apartment. It seemed more like a photographer sort of decoration than Lauren, and it also reads very much as like, by the way, say the set decorators, this is a lesbian apartment, and it, it definitely seemed to come from, from Nadia, uh, the photographer, the one with more of the design eye, theoretically, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think there are a couple, granted, Kira and Nadia both only have like one episode or one season arcs, but they're still, I mean, they're, they're still very much one way or the other. But let's definitely see some, some dudes who go one way or the other. Or both. Yeah, because they they've been they've been good about cl- including queer male guest stars because we've had two couples on the show who were who are two men, um, and we even had one of the couples makes out really passionately in front of the camera. So we even had gay men being sexualized, but they were only guest stars; they weren't main characters. Just a little note from the editing room. I realized that I used the word queer in this conversation, and I wanted to clarify that I did not mean it in a derogatory way. Queer is often the word used in discussions about sexuality concerning LGBTQAI individuals, and so I kind of used it by default without really thinking about it. But I know, like the word slut, it has been reclaimed, but not by everybody, and not everybody is comfortable with its use. So I just wanted to make that clarification and apologize if my use of that word made anybody uncomfortable. Now, back to the conversation. I really think that we're going to, I would, maybe this is wishful thinking, I'd love to see Massimo played that way. I think that, I think he was also supposed to be a slightly bigger character, and I really feel that they'll bring him back in season four. We will see. But yeah, I, th- I think that, that they should do more to present guys that way. I don't necessarily have a problem with them uh, representing female sexuality is really fluid, but it's not fair to just do it that way. Exactly. I, I don't have any problem with, with them presenting women enjoying engaging in sex- sexuality with other women. It's just when it becomes really one-sided, that's when I kind of get a little uncomfortable. Because female-female sexuality is very often objectified and portrayed as something intended to be sexually gratifying for men. Again, in pornography, in advertising, you see quote-unquote girl-on-girl action used to appeal to men. Whatever pleasure the women who are actually engaged in the sexuality are experiencing becomes secondary, if not completely irrelevant, because their sexuality is on display to please men. I'm not accusing Lost Girl of doing this necessarily, but the show is straying closer to this representation of female-female sexuality in season three. And I hope they come back from that, because I previously had been very pleased with how the female-female sexuality had been portrayed. The previous rules have discussed more sexual sexuality in general than last two rules are more specific to sexual orientation. So the, the next rule is sexual orientation is not discussed and never an issue. As we've said previously, we haven't really heard any of the characters, with the exception of Kinsey, make explicit what their sexual orientation was. And even when Kinsey did it, she did it in a very... She didn't use like a label like straight. She didn't say, oh, by the way, I'm straight. She says something to the effect of, I know you like women, but I'm not really into that. Uh, so she doesn't use these labels that we often use in our, in our day-to-day lives. And I want to point out, because maybe not everybody knows this, but 
Bo being bisexual and being a lead character is very, very significant. Plenty of other shows have had bisexual characters on them, and there are plenty of shows on television right now that have bisexual, bisexual characters on them. But I think Bo might be the only bisexual female lead character that has ever been on a show. There's uh, Captain Jack Hartness over on Torchwood, who is, I believe the word they use to describe him is actually omnisexual, maybe? Pan? No, they don't use pansexual. I think it's omnisexual. Because the joke about him is that if it's gorgeous, he'll shag it. But like I was saying, so the fact that Bo is bisexual and she is the lead character is a huge deal. The only show that I can think of offhand that even comes close to this would be Weeds. They present that Nancy, Mary Louise Parker's character, has a relationship with a woman, but it's more presented as, oh, this can be fluid and it's not really her preference, but, you know, she's down with it just because she really likes sex. And that that's certainly by no means a bisexual lead. It's just, uh, you know, sexuality can be kind of fluid. The L word or specifically LGBT shows obviously touch on this a little more, but I cannot think of another show let alone another network show that has done something like this. Uh, you mentioned Torchwood, but even with Torchwood, that's a guy. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas, yeah, female-female sexuality may be a little more titillating, men being in charge of their sexuality is more accepted. So to have a lead female who's bisexual taking charge of her sexuality on a network show is just really unprecedented. And it's not an LGBT show by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, it's a sci-fi slash fantasy show. And so that is, that's really something that is, and it's 2013, well, not when the show came out, but it's it's weird to say that's groundbreaking so late in the game, but it is. No, it totally is. And, and you make a good point. I, I did not specify. Besides LGBT shows like The L Word, Lip Service, Queer as Folk, those have queer main female characters. But obviously, all the lead characters pretty much on the shows are queer. So those are more the, you know, they're, they're, real, they're niche shows in a way that Lost Girl is not. Well, I think that what's interesting about Bo being bisexual is that how do different viewers view you know, Bo, depending on who she's with, if I'm a lesbian viewer, if I'm a straight viewer, if I'm a, you know, gay viewer, a bisexual viewer. Because if Bo is trying to be monogamous or is monogamous with Lauren in the third season or is with Dyson in the first season, does she seem more, quote-unquote, straight during this season or, quote-unquote, lesbian during the third season? It's definitely, there are definitely episodes that pander more to different audiences and different types of viewers, depending on who Bo is with. They, they really have their cake and eat it, too, honestly, as a writer's room. It was interesting to me in season three how very, very queer season three was. I think Bo had sex with one man the entire season. She had sex with Dyson. And I don't think we see her even kiss any other guys. So, because she had, um, obviously, she had a relationship with Lauren, and then we see her have sex with the blonde Fay woman in that one episode and she had a couple of kisses with Tamsin. She does try to have sex and is rejected at the Bacchanal. Yes, she does. But I don't know that we ever see her kiss Roman. And I remember watching that scene and feeling like it was really awkward to see Bo try to seduce a man. It, It was only four episodes into the season and I'd already gotten so used to her being with Lauren, I come, I kind of almost forgot that, oh yeah, 
she likes men too. I maybe that was just me, but it, it, well, she it was, really liked that dark face she killed. But did she kiss him? Because sometimes she sometimes she kisses them when she kills them, but sometimes she just kind of puts her mouth really close to theirs. Well, she mouth locked. I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna parse kissing. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm sure that somebody can comment on here and tell us exactly whether it was or wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we can we can get into the details of cheese suck versus mouth lock versus kiss maybe in another <laughs> episode. But as you brought it up before, does Bo need chi to heal, chi plus sex with who? It's quite confusing. So I think one thing that made people a little uncomfortable in season three was that we have in episode three eleven, we have Bo going undercover kind of in this very waspy upper middle class housing community and when she's trying to uh, schmooze the real estate agent she talks about how she is having kind of a, a relationship problems with her friend with her i think she says yeah she says partner lawrence and so she she swaps lauren's gender in that instance and i know some people kind of thought wait a minute i thought the show didn't really have a problem with Bo being with with women, you know, does this kind of contradict this this rule that sexual orientation shouldn't be an issue? The realtor. Well, first of all, this show, the the art designers and the writers really don't like realtors. Uh, it's hilarious. The realtors that are portrayed, the art that's used to portray the realtors out on on the front, they're all really this kind of vapid, annoying, pushy types. Um, but Lauren uh, is changed to Lawrence for the realtor. Because Bo knows that this realtor would completely put the kibosh on her moving into the neighborhood. She would definitely be ignored. She would be, you know, not allowed to be an in if she was with a woman. So Bo puts on this really heteronormative front so that these women will continue to accept her. And I think that two things. First of all, I think that's the reality for a lot of people having to put on this really heteronormative front to be accepted, especially in high school. And I know that a lot of high schoolers do do watch this show. There, there tends to be, um, just like the, the movie Easy A a couple of years ago, the guy was like, I really need to you to be my beard. Like, I really need to date you so that people will accept me. But the show not ju- doesn't just do that. It, it pokes fun at it a little bit because... As soon as she says, Lawrence, oh, I'm with a guy, the realtor's all gushy. And the the key here is that if that's what people care about, people are really shallow. Um, so I, I don't believe in any way that the show was trying to, to make their relationship heteronormative. It was just pointing out that people who value Bo more because she's in a heteronormative relationship and are vapid. Yeah, I agree. I... I understand why people might have might have felt a little disappointed that that Bo swapped genders in that situation, but I think the show at times besides this has sort of made this distinction between the human world and the fey world, particularly in season three, where we see often in the human world things aren't quite as acceptable. You still see a lot of the stigma that we have in our you know our real world today in when hu- when the human world is portrayed, whereas in the fey world they don't have these stigma attached to sexual orientation, uh, disability, uh, and, and, and things such as this race. We see, you know, fey biracial couples and, and, and such. So I think this was very much a, a product of Bo being in a very 
shallow, very heteronormative human situation and trying to fit in. She's undercover. She's not really being herself, even though she's using aspects of her life to create her character. And just to make sure everyone knows what we mean when we say heteronormative, that means it's assumed that you are heterosexual unless there is clear evidence that you are not. For example, if a woman you didn't know very well were to say, oh, I have a date tomorrow, you would probably assume that her date was male. So that's what heteronormativity or heteronormative means, is that people are assumed to be heterosexual unless proven otherwise. I think a lot of times what the show does, in order to point out how ridiculous prejudice is, it portrays prejudice. But it never portrays it as a positive thing. So Michelle Lovereda's last rule, fifth and final rule, is that Bo's male and female partners are equally viable. And I think the show does a pretty good job at this. If you look at episode 108, Vexed, which was the pilot, in this show that they shopped around to networks and said, you should buy this show... They have they show Bo having sex with both Dyson and Lauren. Like that was their pilot that they showed to networks to say, Hey, you should buy us. So I think they, they really started with this idea that male and female partners are equally viable and I think they've I think they've really stuck with it. I think there's been a maybe a little bit of difference in the way that sec- Bo's having sex with men is portrayed in regard uh in in opposition to Bo having sex with women. The the sex she has with men I think tends to be a little more aggressive. But, you know, the, the sex between Bo and Lauren isn't all soft lighting and soft touching and, you know, going slowly off screen and, and, and that's all we get. So I think that they, they do a good job portraying sex between both Bo and, uh, Bo's male and female partners. I think and it can go, go a little bit back to having sex with Faye versus human because when she does have a sex with Emma, can't remember the the Faye in season three. There's choking. I mean, there, there there's a little more rough play involved. But I also think that it mostly the rough sex with Dyson is playing into his machismo. I mean, he's a werewolf. He's an archetype of you know this thousand year old man who everything is how strong and masculine and wolf like he is. And Dyson is trying really hard to sell this, I'm just in it for the sex, not for the relationship, at the point where he and Bo are having said rough sex, whereas Lauren is mostly like, okay, we're in it for the relationship, and that way we can have either. But Dyson keeps trying to portray this whole, uh, me, man, just want sex, up front. And then later on, he and Bo do have uh, some more tender moments. Right off the bat, they have a couple more tender moments before the friends with benefits thing kind of kicks in. But yeah, I do think that she is she's portrayed having a little bit rougher sex with both Faye and men. But I think that plays into the types of men she's having sex with, as well as uh, them being Faye. So it's it's character based. It's not strictly gender based. Well, I think um, her scene, Bo's sex scenes with Lauren, have built over time and been presented in a way so that they kind of exponentially build. You know, you have the first scene in Vexed where they have sex and it's very gentle, you know, very slow fading shots and set to, you know, that Mad Men song, which is a very, you know, slow kind of ballad song. And then, you know, season two up six when they're, they have that really desperate, you know, kind of hungry sex where they're ripping each other's clothes off, but it's also brought on by the circumstances. Bo doesn't know if she's going to see Lauren again and vice versa. 
season three, you know, up season three, up four, where it just opens. And I was quite frankly shocked yet. Okay. The pervy side of me was a little pleased that that could get on television. You know, I was like, yay showcase for pushing the boundaries of sex between women and showing it that way, but also presenting it with really good lighting and really good editing so that it's not just complete eye candy. There's such uh, there's always a reason behind it. There's such good writing behind those sex scenes. So it's not just, hey, let's just have a roll in bed kind of thing. It's quite carnal, I think would be a good word. I, I, I was very surprised that they were able to portray tribidism on cable TV. <laughs> My guess is that there's no audio because that uh, would have pushed it over the top. I mean, it works for the scene. I with just music and sometimes sex scenes do have just music but my guess is that there are a lot of things where they had to shave a couple frames here or there and there's no audio because of that but you know less canadian network standards well yeah and it's edited so beautifully and i think anna and zoe might have said that that particular scene in three four was shot pretty quickly for that for that kind of sex scene it went pretty well it really would be easier uh, yeah. You're doing a lot more close-ups. You're doing a lot more one. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of movement in you can cut one pretty quickly. Cut. Yeah, I think Anna said in an interview that that was the easiest sex scene she ever filmed, which makes sense. Which makes sense because it's mostly close-ups of, of of just her even, and and then we, you know, cut to something else. But yeah, I was just and then when it is a longer shot, it's like them modestly covered up with sheets so they can do the dialogue then or whatever. Well, and I always say kudos to the actors for doing these yes. scenes. I know they yes. sign releases, but it's still a tough thing, you know, as Chris was saying, Comic Palooza, to have the entire video village looking up his bumhole. You know, bumhole. <laughs> his very lovely bumhole that Zoe says he loves. Because even in seasons three and four, you know, you've still got to do a scene. At least they have the advantage that they are familiar with the person and they trust the actor and the crew. So good on the actors for still continuing to push the boundaries with those scenes. Yeah, I don't even remember how I stumbled upon this video. I think it was maybe a blooper reel that was posted on YouTube. It was for a movie I haven't seen. It's the one with Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. I think it's called Friends with Benefits or something like that. And there's this outtake of one of the sex scenes that they've done where I think Mila Kunis is lying there topless. I don't think she even has pasties on. And Justin Timberlake is kind of lying on top of her, and they're waiting for this PA-type guy to arrange the sheets around them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks so horrible. So I always like feel really badly for actors whenever I see sex scenes. I think, oh, I'm sorry. It's very not sexy. It's very a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and I don't... Have you ever seen um, Love Actually? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. All the, There's that whole, the, whole storyline with uh, them doing the, the porn, porn scenes. Yeah. And it's very it's very much like this is a lot of work and this is very practical and this is how it has to be done. And mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It's a lot of work. So, OK, let me try to explain this because Melanie and I were kind of talking about this before and I think maybe I wasn't saying it the best. I personally kind of have this question. And by the way, I should say this. I've asked a lot of questions in the course of of this podcast, and I'm not trying to say that we have the right answers. We're just exploring these questions. We have a variety of answers. Just because you have an answer that's different from ours, we're not saying you're wrong. We're just sort of giving our perspective. So my question that I've had is that clearly one of the things that Michelle Lovretta really wanted to confront is that women can have viable relationships with 
with other women. She wants to really, I think, confront heterosexism and homophobia a lot with, with how she's portrayed Bo and her relationships with Lauren and Dyson. And so I wonder personally, would it have been more effective, like a better commentary, a better challenge to this heterosexism, hetero, heterosexism and homophobia, if instead of having the female love interest be human, have the, the male love interest be human? Because... In sort of contemporary society, same-sex relationships, they're more challenging. You know, we it, in most states, two women, two, two men cannot get married. Um, there's social stigma attached to their relationship. And so we see this echoed with, with Lauren and Beau, even though the problem isn't that they're two women, it's that they're, one is a fae and one is a human. Whereas with Dyson, their relationship isn't easy, but it's easier. They're both fae. They're going to live a comparable amount of years, probably which is more sort of reflective of a heterosexual relationship in the context of the real world. It's, it's just a little bit easier. There's less social stigma attached to it. So I guess, so my question is, you know, would it have been better commentary, better criticism to have switched the genders of the male, of the, of the human and fae love interests? I think that you would still end up running into some roadblocks no matter how you pulled it. For instance, let's say that Dyson is human and Lauren is Faye and Lauren goes to the Norn and quote has her love taken away well then that could stand in for you know losing your love for women or just her partner at the time who would have been Beau etc but because the Faye analogy doesn't always work one-to-one for homosexuality it just kind of stands in for a lot of prejudice in general including more for race than for homosexuality and also for class, as you pointed out. I don't think that you can necessarily make that that distinction. It's really, no matter how they wrote it, there was definitely going to be a way in which it came across as, as displaying prejudice against the female-female relationship because there is prejudice with Dyson and Bo's relationship as well. There's a lot of hardships and weird roadblocks that you can only get when you're fae. However, to me, what really stands out is that the this is the only that I can think of supernatural human relationship that is not heteronormative. You've got Buffy, who has two, uh, really three. You've got Anya and Xander, Buffy Angel, and Buffy Spike, all heteronormative. City of Angels which is one of the more famous examples of this trope. Lord of the Rings, Tuck Everlasting, Superman, the infamous Twilight. In all of these relationships where there are these roadblocks set up between the supernatural and the human, they're all heteronormative. And they're all presented as these really epic love stories. And I think to have that supernatural human and maybe because I'm a sucker but I'm I'm definitely a hopeless romantic so when when you have a a love story where one of them is immortal and the other's mortal that's a really powerful story and so I think to have one of the first representations of that story where it's homosexual I think that if in order to have that you end up having a couple of other places where it may seem like you're presenting something else I think that's more than than worth it. I think that's a really cool depiction. What do you think, Annie? Well, I'm thinking if Lauren, if it had been portrayed as Lauren having been Faye from the beginning, we'd still have the societal thing of 
not backlash, but just the difference of portraying woman versus woman. It wouldn't matter of a woman and woman relationship. It wouldn't matter if it was Faye or not. And what if you'd had Dyson be human? Then you'd have, you know, we're having the quote-unquote uh, stronger sex being in a more submissive, vulnerable position as human. And I don't necessarily, I don't know if, not that the network didn't want to go that way, but that might have been you a know, hard within sell. the confines. It, yeah, it would have been a harder sell within the confines of the world. It wouldn't have worked as well. But now everybody has the question, who's going to be Faye? Who wants to be Faye that's still human? Kenzie really wants to be Faye. Will that change? Can Warren help her be Faye? Because now she apparently knows how to splice DNA Faye with human. Does Lauren want to be Faye? And I really, really want to see a thrust of the fourth season of this whole conundrum of that Bo finally acknowledged to herself that she's going to live for a long time and Lauren and Kenzie will not. Some of the people oh. that she loves will not. So how are we going to address this issue? Let me ask you guys a question that just occurred to me then. If Lauren is presented with the chance to become Faye and rejects it, is that going to... Uh, metaphorically stand in for being presented with the chance to be heteronormative and rejecting it? I think it could, maybe, depending on how it was written. Yeah. I wish, I I wish that... I'm glad this is audio, but you guys both made the exact same face when I asked <laughs> it. Like, oh! <laughs> like, looked off the same direction. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think that could read that way. And and again, I'm not trying to say they made a poor choice by, by assigning the Fey human characteristics the way that they did. I'm just sort of, you know, thinking out loud. Because I think definitely some of the conversations that they have in regard to Lauren being human and therefore not a good partner for Bo really echo conversations that, that queer people hear. So they I think they, at the very least, use this metaphor to portray the difficulties of of LGBT people. So I think this is probably the reason they went the way that they did, is that they could use this sort of fey human metaphor to talk about same-sex relationships, but also take sort of the same-sex nature of it out of the equation as, as, as far as it being the problem. Well, and as well as creating, you know, the supernatural fantasy world that they wanted to base the whole premise upon to make it easier sell. Whereas if you just taken the supernatural part out of it, it would have been a, lot, a whole lot different. So we have gotten to the end of the rules, and it sounds like we've gotten to the end of our discussion. So thank you so much, Melanie, for, for being a guest. I really appreciate your being here and adding your, your comments. Again, Melanie, you can find her on Twitter as MelsBells and over at Word, on WordPress at melsbells.wordpress.com. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Melanie, as far as maybe stuff you have coming up on the blog that people might be interested in? I Well, first, I'd like to say thank you guys for having me. This was this was a lot of fun and uh, for inviting me to, to come on and talk about this. If anyone does want to come on over to the blog, I covered the last half of season three, and now I'm starting at one and working my way back through. I didn't actually watch the show until season three had already started. I hadn't I hadn't seen any of it, so now I'm kind of going back through I watched it all in order, but I, I crammed it all in there, and then I started reviewing when I was live and then went back to the beginning. So uh, if you want to come, uh, the co my comments section, I have a lot of people who comment on my blog, and all of them are amazing, and they present a lot of different things, and it's 
gets really interesting, so please come and comment. Feel free to agree or disagree with me or point out something that I missed, and I love that. I would love to see everybody there. And I just to point out, for people who are big Lauren fans, I would definitely recommend reading Melanie's blogs. I think she has some of the best analysis of Lauren as a character that I've ever read. She has really good character analysis, period, but I think her character analysis of Lauren is really, really good. So if you're a Lauren fan, I definitely recommend checking her blogs out. And now I'm blushing. Oh, good. <laughs> I I really try to, to delve into um, all the characters. It's a lot of fun. And I'm I'm kind of glad that it caught on. I, I do other TV shows and things, too, but this one seems to attract the most attention, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, thank you again for coming and being our guest. Um, yes, thank you. A couple of our listeners sent in some feedback about our last episode about slut-shaming, and they both brought up a scene that we didn't discuss. And this scene is in episode 12 of season one. The episode is called Dismembers Only. And the scene that they're referring to is um, one between Bo and Dyson right after they have been at the country club and been invited to join this sex party. And Dyson basically says no, and they leave. So here is the scene following that one. Here's a clip. Okay, would you just spit it out already? What was your problem tonight? Just not my scene, okay? So you're not a swinger, Dyson. Big freaking newsflash. So you blow a chance to get more info on the case? How do women wear these freaking shoes? Well, I guess we're just gonna have to find a less sleazy way of getting our information. Hey! You talk to me. I don't want to share you, Bo. What? I don't want anyone else's hands on your body. I don't want anyone's mouth on yours. And I know this is the last thing you want to hear right now. Why wouldn't I want to hear that? Because you're a succubus, Bo. It's not in your nature to be monogamous. Kate sent us a voice message, which you can do as well by clicking on the send a voice message link, either on our feedback page or at the bottom of the show notes for this episode. And Kate had this to say. Hello, this is Kate, also known as Escape Artist at Image Feeder on Twitter. And the first thing I wanted to say is how much I enjoyed your episode on sexuality and slut shaming. I really find that kind of analysis very interesting. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, season one, episode 12, Dismembers Only, and the Dyson line about them having to find a less sleazy way of getting our information. In the scene immediately uh, before this, even though those people are pretty obnoxious, Bo does in fact seem a bit turned on about the idea of participating sexually with them. Dyson says this to her and then uh, follows it up with saying that he doesn't want to share her. And that to me, it seemed like a perfect example of what slut shaming is about, an attempt to control behavior by using the loaded language associated with shame. Of course, as the scene moves on, it shifts and his alpha male stance moves more towards uh, confessional vulnerability. Uh, and I think most people would agree there's nothing slut-shaming in asking for monogamy. So, But the scene, it does seem to me some kind of a dissection of what slut-shaming often is about, which is a way to stop behavior without showing vulnerability. So that's my thoughts on that, and I, I find it an interesting scene. Aaron S. emailed, and he says, the second case, that is the second case of slut-shaming in season one, comes just later with the episode Dismembers Only, in which Dyson basically calls Bo a slut just without saying the actual word. He describes her methods as sleazy and not something he does. 
Case-wise, it plays on how by-the-book Dyson is and how Bo will get in with the bad guys to solve her case if it comes to that. But sexuality-wise, it was a clear showing that Dyson was faulting Bo for being who she is and shaming her for it. I had completely forgotten about this scene, and clearly Melanie and Annie had as well. But I think it's a great scene to talk about in regards to slut-shaming, so I'm going to give you some of my thoughts on it. Personally, I have always interpreted Dyson's sleazy comment to be directed at the people from the country club who are sleazy or obnoxious, as Kate says. This episode has another example of open relationships, and it's not a particularly positive portrayal, but I think what makes the people at the country club sleazy isn't that they're swingers or having group sex. It's the very predatory way that they pursue Dyson and Bo, especially... I believe his name is Mitch, the male country club member who they saw about getting a membership. He's always leering at Bo and leaning in very closely. He's he's clearly supposed to be kind of a, a smarmy character. And I think we as the audience are supposed to feel uncomfortable when the group propositions Bo and Dyson to stay and have sex with them. So while it's not the nicest thing for Dyson to say in this instance, I personally did not interpret his comment as being directed as, at Bo. However... I can completely understand why people interpret that scene as Dyson slut-shaming her. Like Kate said, I think this scene is complicated, though. Dyson is being very pissy and domineering at the beginning of the scene, but by the end of the scene, he is kneeling before Bo and saying he belongs to her, and being the most emotionally vulnerable we've seen him be up to this point in the series. I think he even apologizes in his own way for his behavior when he owns up to being territorial, but even an outright apology would not excuse his slut-shaming Bo. As Kate mentioned, slut-shaming is often used to control people's behavior, so Dyson's reference to Bo's tactics being sleazy could have been designed to manipulate her reaction to his declaration that he wants to be monogamous. I'm not saying he did do this, or at least he didn't—I'm not saying he did it intentionally, but I think that that is a fair reading of this scene. While Bo doesn't say, hey, don't call me a slut, I think that she does call Dyson out on his behavior when she, when she says, hey, you talk to me. And she never apologizes for her behavior or goes into a shame spiral or something like that. So I think that this moment is similar to scenes like Lachlan calling Bo and Aoife sluts or Bertram slut-shaming Bo in the morning after. However, this scene in Dismembers Only does not have the clear message that those other scenes have that the person making those slut-shaming remarks is evil or wrong. I personally think it's clear that Dyson is being a jerk at the beginning of that scene, but he's still the leading male character of the series. He's one of the good guys, which makes this scene very complicated and very ambiguous. I know it's frustrating for us as viewers when we really want the show to say definitively, this is bad or this is good and it just won't do it. But I think that's part of what makes Lost Girl such a rich show. We have these flawed but ultimately sympathetic and likable characters because this, of this ambiguity that the show doesn't mind kind of lingering in from time to time. So thank you for sending in that feedback, Kate and Aaron. We would love to hear your feedback about the content of this episode or any previous episode, as well as get your suggestions and topics to cover in future episodes. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, episode five, which are available at drinksatthedoll.com. You can send us a voice message through your computer, iPhone, or iPad by clicking on the send a voice message link at the end of the show notes. That is what Kate did. That's why you got to hear her voice on the show, which makes us very happy. You can also email us at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Thank you for joining us for Drinks at the Doll. I'm Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.